Well, at this moment, uh, that's the same uh, place he started last year at this time. You know, and we think that uh, if he's a, a starter or a closer, that that the extra innings, uh, you know, the time that he spent getting ready, for, uh, uh, you know, for the season helped his breaking ball, it helped his his uh, you know his split finger, and it helped his control. So you know, we're going to do the same thing now. Uh, uh, quite frankly, I don't know exactly where the talk came from. Good morning, and welcome to episode 162 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh in Long Beach, California. You are Sam Miller. Hello, Sam. How are you? Mm, I'm okay. I watched a baseball game today, a World Baseball Classic game. Oh, you did? I was just going to update you on what the score was right now, because I figured you wouldn't know. Uh, No, I did know. I uh, found some way that kids watch things on the internet these days, uh, probably from Europe or something, and... I don't know if I mean it's possible that I did something illegal, and this might be my last episode. <laughs> if the feds come tomorrow, see, you're the the sort of person that MLB should be reaching out to and trying to get interested in their product. Yeah, so it's really boring, a shame that you can't just turn boring on. old, yeah, boring old person who just sits at home watching things. Um, one sixty-two, so that's a significant number. Yeah, that, that is this episode one sixty-two. So I guess I never realized quite how long a baseball season was until i did a daily podcast for what seems like eternity podcast is a marathon not a sprint yeah uh so we are gonna put aside our distaste for for the cincinnati reds today oh i thought you were gonna say for podcasting oh well we that we do that daily Uh, yeah but this particular episode we're gonna put aside our distaste distaste for the reds and talk about one of their players, and maybe some other players too. Um, but one of the things that uh, many people are, are talking about right now is Aroldis Chapman. I liked Jeff Sullivan's uh, lead in his post at Fangraphs. If it seems like you've read dozens of articles about Aroldis Chapman potentially being a starting pitcher over the years, it's only because you've missed hundreds more. Uh, which, yeah, which is true. Uh, this spring alone. So we talked to someone about the Reds. Who did we talk to about the Reds? Do you remember? I don't. Okay. Well, it was it was an excellent guest. Um, and I think my skepticism maybe kind of came across, or I intended it to come across, about the way that they are handling the the conversion of Aroldis Chapman to the starting rotation, uh, just because it seemed like there were some mixed messages and people feeling different ways about things. Uh, at the time, it wasn't really clear how Chapman felt about the whole thing, um, but it did seem as if Dusty Baker kind of liked having Aroldis Chapman in the bullpen, uh, and it seemed to be more of a front office-driven initiative. Since then, uh, just over the weekend, Aroldis Chapman came out and said that he would prefer to be the closer, um, so that adds a, a new wrinkle to this. He said, uh, I'm waiting to hear the decision so I can feel better, concentrate more. I don't think it's a distraction because when you go out there to pitch, you can't think about that, but it would still be better to know what they're going to do. The truth is, if they were to make the decision, I would want to be the closer, but it's not in my hands. So we wanted to talk about whether, I guess it should be in his hands. Really? Kind of. That's one of the I- things. 
yeah, I thought that what interested, I guess, yeah, that's that's a good question. That's actually a very good question. Um, and uh, in a way, uh, it seems like it's totally fair that it would be in his hands, right? I mean, he, uh, a lot of people are, well, here's the thing. You don't necessarily get the job you want if you're not qualified for it. But if you really want to in life, you can have the job that's worse than the, the one that you're qualified for, right? You know, like if I wanted uh, to, um, well, I don't know that I'm a good example because I don't really even know what the analogous, analogous uh, jobs would be. But if you're the manager at Starbucks, you can probably get a job as a barista at Starbucks. You can't necessarily get a job as the, um, you know, CFO of Starbucks. And so if Chapman wants to use his skills in this way and he's qualified for it, um, you know, most people have some say over what they get to do every day uh, at work. And uh, it you could sort of understand why it would be fair that if he's more comfortable there and if he feels like it's the best place for him to succeed, uh, that he could do it. I mean, he's basically taking a pay cut to do it. He'll make presumably a lot less money in his career as a closer than he would as a good starter. Uh, he would I mean, uh, have to be, he'd have to be a, a very good starter. I would think, I mean, if Aroldis Chapman were a free agent closer and teams were paying him to do what he did last season, he would be very well paid. He would probably make what 15 million upwards of that. I would think as, the, yeah, I mean, as the best closer in baseball. Dude, Jeremy Guthrie is going to make 12 million as a starter yeah, and has a multi-year deal and, and Chapman probably won't be quite as good as he was last year because only like three or four guys in history ever have been. Uh, I mean, you know, closers make less than starters. Closers are probably somewhat maybe overpaid, but they also make a lot less than starters. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, he wouldn't, if he turned out to be a bad starter or even a mediocre starter or an injured starter, but in all those cases, he would be correct to prefer closing anyway. Yeah, uh, that's true. Does that logic make sense? Yes. Um, I mean, I guess from the Reds' perspective, his saying that he would prefer to be a closer kind of kind of forces their hand, or at least uh, influences their hand, because you then start to worry that he will be upset if he is not made a closer, and, and he didn't demand to be a closer. He didn't say that he would refuse to pitch if he were a starter or anything like that. He said it in a fairly diplomatic way, but made his preference clear. And so you start to wonder whether not just that he'll be less happy, but that maybe he is not suited for starting in a, in a temperament sense, uh, that he really enjoys the adrenaline of, of closing. As he said, he likes, coming in and finishing off a game and maybe having experienced that he would not bring quite the same intensity to starting or he would not be able to regulate his his approach having done that and kind of gotten addicted to the the rush of closing um so then it becomes a consideration that you kind of have to factor into the likelihood of his success as a starter uh i, I think I would be more pessimistic probably about his his outlook as a starter having heard him say that. Would you? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard to I mean it's it's hard to know how much 
more he knows about himself than we do. I mean, he obviously knows a great deal more about himself than we do. Um, and you'd kind of would like to take that into consideration. I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, if, if for whatever reason he thinks that he's going to be better in one role than another, uh, that's probably relevant information, but maybe it's not. I mean, maybe he's, um, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that we're self-delusional or that we have, um, you know, self-doubt or whatever. And sometimes people know more about us than we know about ourselves. But I don't know. I mean, I guess the, 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 the question that I have about this that is a sort of a bigger question and that is uh, about Chapman and is also, I think, kind of about Steven Strasberg, who this week was in the news when he was talking about how he wants to be a horse uh, and whatever that means uh, is somewhat debatable, but presumably he wants to be a you know big tough guy who pitches a lot of pitches and um, throws a lot of innings and you know doesn't have some weenie trainer telling him to shut it down in September. Um, I think in both cases the question is whether um, players need to be able to. I don't know. I mean, for want of a better term, whether this is the one instance where being a stat head would be a good thing for a player. I, I think that uh, it's been talked about a lot that players don't generally benefit from a lot of the thing, a lot of the information that front offices benefit from, and most of the statistical revolution or whatever you want to call it over the last 10, 15, 20 years is kind of inapplic- inapplicable. Is that a word? Yeah. Inapplicable. Whoa. Where are you? <laughs> I just moved away from my microphone. <laughs> Inapplicable to players. Um, and, you know, sometimes you'll hear a pitcher talk about how he's into, um, you know, FIP or something, and it's like, great. But, I, you know, it's hard to sort of actually see how that matters all that much. But in these two instances, uh, leverage, understanding leverage, understanding um, the value of a starter to compare to a closer and kind of understanding uh, you know, why a starter is so much more valuable might actually be the kind of thing that a player should know about if, um, and well, and the Strasburg thing's trickier too, because I, even though the kind of stat headism, uh, took a, a leading role in pitcher abuse and, uh, pitcher protection, it's not necessarily like we've gotten all that close to any answers. So I don't know for sure that we even can say that, there's a preferred way to handle Strasburg. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same sort of idea would apply, which is that generally you don't uh, really see a great benefit in loading players up with information. But in these two cases, it might actually be pretty important to have smart players who are knowledgeable players, who are open-minded players. And it might be one of those sort of rare places where the bloggers and the analysts and the players um, should kind of interact. You'd think the agents would have something to say about it as they stand to to benefit and get a cut from that starting pitcher money down the road also. Um, So that seems like a place where where they would have something to say. I I guess I'm I'm less optimistic than I used to be about my ability to predict who will succeed as a starter. Um, Not that I've ever been all that confident in my predictions, but... Uh, like last year around this time, I wrote an article about all the guys who were converting to the starting rotation or thinking about it, including Chapman, but also including Feliz and Daniel Bard and Chris Sale and Aaron Crow. 
not all of whom ended up uh, actually starting. But uh, I ranked their their likelihood uh, of succeeding, and I wasn't at all confident in the ratings. Fortunately, I did have Chris Sale first, which looked smart, but I had Daniel Bard second, which didn't. Um, and I don't know, it, Daniel Bard certainly had the, the repertoire. I think there were probably fewer concerns about his having pitches. I mean, he had three pitches. We don't know whether Chapman does, really. We haven't seen him throw a third pitch. Um, and yet he didn't work out uh, and it in, in kind of an unpredictable way. You could look at his pre-starting uh, velocity and say that he would still have very good velocity even uh, even after moving from the bullpen. And he just kind of lost more than you'd think he would have lost and just sort of didn't have the approach that, that worked in that role, or at least it didn't last season. And having seen it happen with him and having seen it happen with Jabba Chamberlain, although there is debate about the extent to which the team kind of caused that trouble, um, I guess I'm... There's also, I think there's... There's also reasonable debate about when Bard's problems actually started and mm-hmm. whether he was actually broken as of, you know, August 2011. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I guess, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't, I'm not confident that, that Chapman could just immediately step in and be uh, as valuable as a starter as he was as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Because he'd have to be, I mean, he was just outside the top three. 30 or so in uh, in wins above replacement in all pitchers and our wins above replacement really doesn't take into account leverage or anything so if you do then you think he was maybe even more valuable than the stats would say uh, and the pitchers who are around him are pretty good pitchers he would have to be a, a really good pitcher and as a guy who seems to prefer closing and whom we know can excel as a closer and may or may not have a third pitch and may or may not have some concentration issues and and off the field or mental issues that could complicate the conversion. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily certain that it would work out so well, but I guess there's no harm in trying it. And maybe if it gets off to a good start, then he will grow to like it. And then the Reds will have a good starter. Yeah, it sounds like you sort of just described um, the paradox that we've talked about on this show before, whereby the better you do in relief, the more um, likely you are to have great value as a starter, and yet the harder it is to actually mm-hmm. get away from relief. Uh, if Chapman, I mean, imagine that that season, you know, imagine that all you had to go on was, you know, Chapman's frame and his velocity and his pitches and his arm and his ability to throw generally where he wants you would never put that guy in the bullpen right you would you yeah. you're you would still be looking at him and saying i want to get 225 innings out of him i guess so and although- you're being swayed by by his success which is exactly i mean his incredible success in the bullpen is more information that he will be a very good starter it is not information that he will not be a very good starter it's that it it tells us more about his ability to start it does but i think maybe if there are pitchers who are uh whose stuff is likely to play up more than others in the bullpen which i think is certainly the case um he would be one of them maybe 
just because he has such an overpowering fastball and just sort of not as overpowering secondary stuff and not the greatest control and maybe has a tendency to lose focus sometimes and all of those things would make me think that that maybe he's a, a worse candidate for the rotation than than the typical reliever who goes 70 innings with a 1.5 ERA. Not that there are any other relievers who do that, really. Um, yeah, I'm imagining Randy Johnson pitching <laughs> as a reliever for the 89 yes, Expos. so am I. I. He'd have 495 saves right now, and <laughs> that, that'd be it. That'd be Randy Johnson. He would have finished fourth in a Cy Young one year. Mm-hmm. That's true. I'm thinking of something that uh, Javier Lopez said at the the player panel at Sabre. Someone asked him about roles in the bullpen and how important it is to know your role and define your role. And and he said it was very important. And uh, he said that his preparation suffers when he doesn't know his role. And he actually admitted that you might sort of shut down mentally if you're uh, a bullpen guy with a certain role and it seems like the game is shaping up in such a way that that role won't be called upon. You might just kind of shut down and then have to reboot again if your name is called and you won't be ready. Uh, And he kind of made the comparison to starting a job. You wouldn't want to go into a job and have them say, okay, go get them without telling you what to do exactly. So he wants to know specifics and apparently get hitters out is not specific enough an instruction. Um, and so it seems like maybe it's not the best idea to jerk Chapman around like this or not ideal. I don't know that it will do any lasting damage, but I don't know. I, I kind of would want to see a consistent message and, and something decisive, I would think, unless there's some powerful new evidence that comes up to change my mind about what he's best suited to do. Um, but... Having gone this far, I, I guess I would just kind of let him start as a starter and see how that goes. And if he has one or bad two starts, one or two bad starts, then maybe we will never talk about this again, and they'll just put him back in the bullpen. But if he starts out with uh, an eight-inning, one-run game, then maybe he's just kind of off to the races and will be a successful starter forever. And it could just come down to how that first game or two goes, which is kind of crazy, but that could happen. In 1991, Randy Johnson walked more batters than all but 20 pitchers in baseball. Struck out. What? Uh, oh, so if I, his... Okay. <laughs> yeah, his walk total would have been the 21st highest strikeout total. He uh, he uh, walked 152 batters in a season. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's a big number. Jose de Jesus that year walked 128, and he only struck out 118, and he actually had a 3.42 ERA. Hmm. I am writing something about uh, starters, very good starters who pitched in relief and what they did. Uh-huh. Uh, and Randy Johnson, I haven't really written the thing yet, but I'm just looking at the giant spreadsheet I have, and he did. He made a, a postseason relief appearance in 1995. Uh, he went three innings. He struck out six. He walked three. Uh, and in 2001, he did that again. And in 2005, he did that again. And he didn't give up any runs. And he struck out lots of guys. And I'm sure he would have done that a lot. 
if he had been a reliever. That would have been fun. Yeah, he walked more batters than he gave up hits that year, uh, which has only been done five times by starters since 1980. Two of them by Bobby Witt, one by Eric Plunk, and one by Steve Avery. Hmm. All right, Randy Johnson trivia. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Dontrell Willis, I guess, actually did it, but it was only in seven starts, and he actually walked twice as many batters as he allowed hits. <laughs> that was the, the year he walked 35 batters in 24 innings. All right, uh, so we're done. Yep. We could read some more stats of, of the number of things that pitchers did for a while, uh, but we won't. We'll stop. Uh, you should email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com, and the next show will be us answering some of those questions.